Today we start our, our third part of the What About series. Uh, we've gone uh, three Sundays on What About Sin, and then uh, following three Sundays on uh, What About Love. And uh, this Sunday we start with on the third part about grace, and uh, entitled What About Grace? Uh, the Equation of Grace. Uh, just as any mathematical equation, things must balance out on both sides of the equal sign. Uh, it's uh, to make sense and for it to qualify as a mathematical equation, for it to be correct, there's got to be values on each side that justify the equation. Uh, let me give you an example. 1 plus 1 equals 2, but also 2 plus 2 plus 2 equals 1 plus 1 plus 4. You have 6 on each side uh, of the equation. And um, this is a very simple example, but I just, I'm trying to make a point here that it's the same way in God's divine equation uh, dealing uh, with our redemption and our freedom uh, from sin. He's got a spiritual formula, a spiritual equation, if you would, and it's completely the opposite, though, than a mathematical equation. Because you see, in math, you've got to have equal on both sides. You've got to have the same value on each side of, of the equation. But in God's divine equation, um, it's uh, an equation of grace. And uh, in the natural, it makes no sense. It's lopsided, if you would. Uh, because on his side of the equation, everything is given. And on our side of the equation, everything is received at no cost, um, which is great for us. Um, but please understand, as good as that sounds, uh, we as, as humans have a, an extremely hard time with this equation of grace uh, because we enter this world with an inherited problem called pride. And with pride comes self-sufficiency and self-elevation. And uh, please understand God's very aware of this problem that we've inherited because he was there when it originally occurred. Um, so he brought forth a plan, a very simple plan, uh, that would only make sense to a spiritual mind, to a changed mind, uh, to a born-again mind, uh, one that receives God's great grace, and as the song goes, is amazed, is amazed by His grace. Um, have you ever heard the, the saying, except by the grace of God, uh, there I am or there I would be? Uh, I'd be right where they are. I, I probably wouldn't be alive today. I'd be that miserable, hateful wretch that I was, uh, other than by the grace of God, you know. Now, listen, dear ones, if you don't have a revelation of the wonder and the power of God's grace that was extended to you, and if you don't have a thankful heart, a, a joyful heart, a humble attitude, then maybe you need to examine your relationship with the Lord. Because the basis, please understand this, the basis in the beginning of becoming a Christian is a revelation, a realization of your desperate need for a Savior and the grace that's been extended to you, the unmerited favor, the unearned favor that we receive from God that's, that's brought forth on the cross of Calvary. And then at that point, the forgiveness and the redemptive power of the cross becomes very personal and it becomes extremely important to you. And then all of this amazing grace becomes very real and it becomes very precious to you. So let's look closer at this e equation of grace that God has brought forth and how we fit in that equation and what it really means uh, to us as believers in Jesus Christ. Let's pray right now. Father, in the name of your son Jesus, 
uh, we pray for revelation uh, in your word. Revelation, Lord God, as we open your word and, and that we can leave here changed and touched by the power of your word and by your amazing grace in your equation of grace. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I'm going to read from Romans chapter 5, verse 2. I'm going to start there and then go to Ephesians chapter 2. So put your finger in the Bible there uh, in Romans, and then we'll, we'll go to Ephesians right after that. Um, the Apostle Paul writes in verse, two, in verse 1, I'm going to start there, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, into this great grace, in this amazing grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And when you see in Scripture the word hope, it doesn't mean uh, wishing for or, or, or just uh, some uh, wish list that you have. It means a sure certainty. So we rejoice in the sure certainty of the glory of God, not only so, only so, but we also rejoice in our suffering because we know that that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope, that sure certainty. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. You see, just at the right time when we were still powerless, God died, Jesus died, for the ungodly, for surely, for rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, there's that amazing grace that we were just talking about. Now listen to verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world. Now listen to verse 15. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many? Overflow to many. That's us. Again, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of one man, Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Let's drop down to verse 20. The law was added so that the trespass might increase. Not that we would sin more because of the law, because of the Ten Commandments in the Word of God. But it was added so that it would be recognized and pointed out. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. God's grace was poured out all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now let me go to Ephesians chapter 2 and I'm going to start there actually in verse 6. Very famous passage of scripture and the apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus and he says, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus 
in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. There it is again. The incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Now listen, here it is. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. Let me read it again. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no man can boast. You see, that scripture right there points out that it is only through the grace of God that we can enter into this relationship with Jesus Christ and receive the work that he did for us on the cross. Through faith, believing in him as the Son of God, believing in him, and nothing that we can do, just a complete gift that we receive so that we can't brag on our works. We can't go forth in our own works. Now, listen, dear ones, this is, this is something that's, that, that's hard, as I just said, for us to receive because of our pride, because of our self-sufficiency. We want to do something to earn or to, to justify ourselves before God. And we can't do that. God's plan is for us to receive it freely because if we don't receive it freely, we take away from the work on the cross. Now, I'd like to go over briefly some some absolutes in this equation of grace, in God's divine equation of grace. First of all, I'd like to point out that His grace is very expensive. It's expensive to give. We just read in, in, in Romans 5, 1, in verse 6 and verse 9, Therefore, since we were justified through grace, through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath? Now, this doesn't mean lightning bolts coming down from heaven. This means God's righteous judgment. God's righteous judgment. And how much will, more will we be saved? And we will spend eternity with him in heaven instead of eternity in a fiery hell. You see, by definition, grace means unmerited favor, unearned or unwarranted mercy. But favor and mercy always cost. They always cost. It's not cheap. You see, the party that's extending that grace always has to pay a price. And and in our case, that price, if we extend it, is dying to ourselves. It's putting away those thoughts of injustice or iniquity or, 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 or fairness, the right to judge, uh, the desire for revenge. You see, it cost God all that he had. And it only becomes cheap. It only becomes a, an inexpensive grace if we cheapen it. And by cheap, I mean if we lessen it or taint it by thinking that we can earn it or there's something that we can do to receive that grace. We have to just freely receive it. Now, my question to you today is, have you ever extended grace to someone in your life uh, only to have it trampled on or taken for granted, uh, and treated you like they deserved it, uh, like you owed it to them to, to extend that grace to them? My question to you today, dear ones, is how did that make you feel? 
didn't it hurt your feelings? Didn't it just diminish it? Didn't it lessen that grace that was extended? Um, but listen to me, that's the price I'm talking about. That's what makes it so precious uh, because of the great expense of the one who is extending that grace. So you see, it's, it's expensive. It's not cheap. Now, secondly, I'd like to point out that it's, it's got to be completely free and it must be received freely, as I just said. Uh, like the rest, we were natures, uh, by nature, we were objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. For it's by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in order that in coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness to us. And we cannot have works involved, it says in the verse after that, so no man can boast. Now you see, the Apostle Paul understood the trap of salvation through works, a religious system that measures righteousness by varying degrees of, of good works. You see, he had, he had seen how it leads to legalism and to performance-based religion. That's where Paul came from. The Apostle Paul came from a religious system that was totally based on good works, on performance, if you would. And so he understood salvation through works completely. Now, now listen to me. It's so easy for us to get trapped in that very same system because it seems to be based on good, on good works, on good behavior, on good thoughts. And so we, we, we tend to lean by nature in that direction so that we can earn and feel good about ourselves. But the reality is that that leads to self-sufficiency, which is fueled in, in, in by pride. And, and then that leads to a haughty spirit and eventually a fall. So you fail every time in your own strength. Listen what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 10. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. This is, this is God speaking now. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me, Paul says. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. This is Paul speaking to us. It's the Holy Spirit speaking to us through the Apostle Paul. And I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Salvation, salvation, church, is based on free grace, free grace and that alone, placing all the power and all the focus in Jesus and in his crucifixion and in the power of his shed blood. You see, that's the engine driving the equation. Not you, not me, but him and his work on Calvary and his shed blood. And when we try to earn our salvation, in effect, what we're doing is we're taking away from the cross of Christ. And that must grieve God's heart. Now, I have another question for you. Have you ever tried to give something precious to someone, to someone you love, and they refuse to accept it? They will not accept it. They insist on paying you. They, they insist on doing something in return or, or paying you in some way. How did that make you feel? How did that make you feel? 
didn't it make you feel like they, they didn't quite trust you, like they thought you were up to something and that they would owe you something? And, and, and really, didn't it make you feel like they didn't see your heart, that you just wanted to give, you just wanted to extend grace to them? You see, it does the same thing to God. Listen now. It does the same to God when we get on a works mentality, on a spinning wheel of, of good works, on, on, on earning our salvation, kind of like that, the, 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 the little mouse in, in the cage that's just spinning. And it's a dangerous place to be because it leads to pride and to a fall. Now, thirdly, I want to point out to you that this equation of grace of God's that when we look at it, it really doesn't add up in human thinking. In our natural human minds, in our human thinking, it doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense to us. Again, reading the Scripture, you see at just the right time when we were still powerless, we're still sinners, slaves to sin. Christ died for the ungodly. Rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. That's Romans 5, 6 through 7. You see? Rome, and in Ephesians 4, verse 17, uh, the Apostle Paul says again, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Well, he's talking about our minds here. And in our minds, this equation of grace just doesn't make sense. And Paul understood that this made no sense to the natural mind, that it's hard to accept and believe that anyone would go through what Jesus did and expect no payment in return, only to receive it freely and to believe in him. Wow, Paul understood this because he was one of those doubtful unbelievers at one time in his life. He was, a, he was an extreme case of that. And that's why Paul said in Romans 12 that we should be transformed by the renewing of our mind. You see, when we renew our minds, we get the mind of Christ, and then it makes perfect sense to extend grace to someone who's hurt you, someone who's deceived you, someone who's abandoned you. But you've got to use your born-again mind, the one that listens to the Holy Spirit, not the human mind, not the spirit of flesh in human understanding, in worldly thinking, but your born-again mind. And then at that point, you see clearly God's great equation of grace. You receive it freely, and you extend it freely to those who have hurt you and have trampled on you and who have disappointed you. Now, I've got a, another question for you here, church. Have you ever thought about how you perceive things in your life? Have you meditated on that? Have you thought about that? You know, what do, what do I think about my salvation? You know, have I examined how I walk out my Christianity? Do I really have a, a works mentality? Am I always trying to earn my righteousness, earn my approval to God and even to other people? You know, who, who am I trying to impress, God or man? These, these are serious questions, but they're questions worth pondering questions worth finding the answers to. Now listen, because your relationship with Jesus must be based on only two things, our relationship with, with Christ has to be based on faith and grace. Now, 
because of that, you've got to understand that that we have to just lean on the power and lean on the cross, and we have to go to Him in just complete abandon of self, complete abandon of self, where what we do is we lean on Jesus Christ and Him alone. Now, this reminds me of a story um, that that I read um, in a book, uh, and uh, it's it's a really good story, and I'd like to uh, read it to you. It's about uh, extending this grace, and it's a a story about a lady who is um, a true story. She's driving uh, her car um, before the holidays around Thanksgiving, and she is. Um, and it's in New York, takes place in New York City. She's driving her car. It's in November of the year 2004. And I'd like to just read some of the excerpts. It's from a book entitled Captured by Grace by David Jeremiah. And you can find it in that book in chapter 1. And it says that it's autumn in New York, November 2004. And it's freezing rain and drivers are weary. And there's a carload of delinquents, it says, on a joyride. Their spree begins in a local cineplex, he says, bored with action flicks. The teenagers decide to act one out. They break into a car, they grab a credit card, and they go to a video store, and they charge $400 worth of DVDs and video games. And then they decide, well, let's pick up some groceries while we're at it. And uh, the surveillance camera catches these kids selecting a, a, a going to the freezer and they buy a a, a twenty pound turkey uh, with this stolen credit card. Uh, they get in their car. It says a little silver Nissan, and the kids move along an irregular line intersecting with a Hyundai uh, car that's coming their way. In that other car, there's a driver named Victoria Ruvolo. The two cars cross paths. It says here at approximately twelve thirty a.m. Miss Ruvolo, who's forty four, is headed. Uh, home in Long Island, and she's attended her 14-year-old niece's vocal recital. She looks forward to being home and rest in the in, from the cold weather. And uh, it says here, maybe the silver Nissan approaching from the east catches Victoria's eye. Maybe not. Uh, later, she's not sure, but she certainly doesn't recall the image of the teenage boy leaning out the window of the Nissan as the car approaches nor will she retain any memory of the bulky projectile taking flight from his hands. And he says, this is the part about the turkey. The 20-pound bird crashed through her windshield, bends the steering wheel inward, smashes her face, and breaks every bone it encounters. Victoria will remember none of this. Frankly, a stroke of mercy. Eight hours of surgery and three weeks of recovery later, however, friends and family fill in the blanks. She lies impassively in a bed in Stony Brook University Hospital and listens to every detail. Her emotions are difficult to discern given the mask her face has become, shattered like pottery, now stapled together by titanium plates, an eye affixed by synthetic film, a wired jaw, a tracheotomy. 
The public reaction is much more vigorous. The media has run with the story, and web logs follow every new detail of arrest and arraignment. Over Thanksgiving, New Yorkers whisper prayers of gratitude that they were not Victoria Rivolo. Over Christmas, they cherish their health and their fortunes a little bit more. Over the New Year, they cry out for justice. Internet bloggers and TV pundits suggest that what they would do if they were caught in a room, if they could have him in a room for only five minutes. They'd especially love to lay hands on Ryan Cushing, the 18-year-old who heaved the turkey. His face should be shattered, they say. His life should lie in ruins. That's how the man in the street sees it. But it's all in the hands of the justice system. On Monday, August 15, 2005, Ryan and Victoria meet face to reconstructed face in the courtroom. Nine agonizing titanium-bolted months have passed since the attack. Victoria manages to walk into the courtroom unaided, a victory in itself. A trembling Ryan Cushing pleads guilty to a lesser charge. The sentence? A trifling six months behind bars, five years probation, a bit of counseling, and a dash of public service. People shake their heads in righteous indignation. Is that all the punishment we can dish out? When did this country become so soft on crime? Let's lock up all those criminals and throw away the key. Who's responsible for this plea bargain anyway? The answer? The victim. That's who. The victim requests leniency. Ryan makes his plea and then turns to Victoria Ruvolo. All the essence of tough guy long since drained away. He is weeping with abandon. The attorney leads the assailant to the victim. And Victoria holds him tight, comforts him, strokes his hair, and offers reassuring words. I forgive you, she whispers. I want your life to be the best it can be. Tears mingle from mask of reconstruction and mask of remorse. Dear ones, that is God's great, amazing equation of grace. That is what God's grace is all about. Let's end in prayer. Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray, Lord God, that we can have a revelation down deep in our hearts of the price you paid to extend your grace to us. It was very expensive. And we pray, Lord God, that we would, we would um, rise to that grace, that we would come to it, and we would receive it freely, just as it was given to us. And Lord God, we pray for a revelation that we have to see this and have to accept it and walk in it through a born-again mind not in the way we see things, but looking through your heart, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God, and we ask you, Lord, that you would give us the heart of this lady, that we could forgive and we could extend grace in our lives. And we give you the glory and the honor and the praise, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. <laughs>